your seats, I'm going to ask that you remain standing with us as we continue worshiping together. Sing this song with us. You are light in the darkness. You are hope for the hopeless. You are the God who never fails. And you are full of compassion. You are love everlasting. You are the God who never fails. And through it all, your love never changes. And through it all, there is nothing to For your kingdom, for all the world to know your name. And you are strong through the ages, our song for all generations. Our mighty God has come to save. And through it all, your love never changes. You can be seated. Continue singing this next song along with us.
soak in the presence of Jesus for a minute this morning. Yes. Yeah. 
I volunteer at Harrisburg Christian Performing Arts Center, a mission-based youth center in Middletown. We utilize the theater arts as a way to reach the youth of central Pennsylvania for Christ. My wife directs several shows each year at HCPAC, and I oversee the spiritual development aspect of the ministry. We have devotionals written for every show, as well as a student intern program, a Saturday Night Light Force program, as well as the theater arts camps every summer. Countless children, youth, and young adults are impacted for the cause of Christ because of what God is doing at HCPAC. I am Sean, and I am serving here and now. I have the privilege of working as an assistant coach for the Messiah College women's field hockey team. And I get to work with amazing, talented young women, and we build and hone their skills so they can tear it up in NCAA Division III field hockey. But even more importantly, I get to walk with them for just a small portion of their life and uh, encourage them in their journeys of friendship and faith. I'm Jen, and I'm serving our community here and now. closing up our series here and now today and we've been talking for the last five weeks and then today about how we can take our everyday life and have an impact for the eternal kingdom of God here and now and uh, so we've been talking about what it means to be more pervasive in the community what it means to see our everyday life not just our Sunday life or a certain night of the week or when we do a certain program but our everyday walking around living our life in the community doing our job and you can see from some of the videos that, that how can we take that and make that an offering to God where the kingdom of heaven comes to bear in the kingdoms of this earth and our community through us, okay? One of the things that Jesus taught about the most was the kingdom of heaven. As a matter of fact, if you read a book about worship, it'll probably say and cite a bunch of passages where Jesus talked about worship. And the author of that book will probably say, Jesus talked about worship more than anything else. If you read a book on discipleship, the author will probably cite a bunch of passages about discipleship and say, Jesus taught about discipleship more than anything else. And if you read a book about giving or finances and Jesus, the author will probably say, Jesus talked about money more than anything else. But actually what Jesus talked about more than anything else, because this subject encompassed all those other ones, was the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. He taught about it all the time. As a matter of fact, when he rose from the dead, it says that for the next month or so when he met with his followers, that that's all that he taught about was the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. We have that recorded in Acts chapter 1. I'll read it for you a little bit later on. And so Jesus was always trying to get us and get his followers to get the idea that the kingdom of heaven was coming to bear on the kingdom of earth through us. And it was a kingdom that was now, but not fully yet. That the kingdom would come in all of its fullness when he would return again. But the kingdom was coming now in and through the person of Jesus and then in and through the church, the called out ones who were called out to be on mission with God together. And we unpacked that in the first week and have been talking about it the last couple of weeks. I found this video this week and it's, uh, we, we gave you the link for it on the back of your uh, program guide, because you might want to look at it later on. You might want to look at the website that it came from. But I found it very intriguing because it's a, it's a way of explaining the good news of Jesus Christ that includes the whole introduction of the kingdom of God 
coming to bear on the kingdoms of this earth and being on mission with God together. And so I thought it was a good summary of some of the theology that we've been learning the last couple weeks. Let's watch God's big story together. I want to tell you the big story. I want to describe the gospel to you. The big story is God's story and what he's doing on the planet. You'll see that the big story that we're going to walk through has four parts. Creation, fall, redemption, and mission. The Christian worldview says that in the beginning, when the world was started, God designed the world for good. God created this world we live in, and He made it good. And God made us, each of us, for Himself. You were made for God. But if that's true, we've got to look around and say, what went wrong? How do we explain all of the evil and suffering around us? We were designed for good, but secondly, we were damaged by evil. Each one of us, in our own way, has experienced fractured relationships with people. Each one of us has experienced this broken relationship with God. Each one of us, in our own different ways, have abused the planet. We turned everything in. We made it all about us. We're damaged by evil. But the good news is that God loves us and loves the world too much to leave us that way. And He sent Jesus into this broken world to restore us. And so Jesus restores all things for better. When Jesus died on the cross, it showed that that damage, that death, that disease and evil would not have the last word. That Jesus overcame it and offers us a life that also can overcome evil. When you join the Jesus revolution, when you become a follower of Jesus, you become one of God's agents, an agent of change in a broken world. God transforms you and then sends you to help transform a broken world. This big story moves us from decisions to transformation. It moves us from individualism to community. The big story moves us from the afterlife to the mission life. The goal of the Christian faith is to transform you here, make you part of a community that is sent out together to heal a broken world and bring God's kingdom now. So I liked how that summarized things, and I liked how that brought us back to the kingdom of God coming here and now through us. It's here and now through us. It's here, but it's not fully yet. In the second coming of Christ, the kingdom will come in all of its fullness, and all of heaven and earth will be renewed. All you have to do is read the book of Revelation, and you can figure that out. Some of the other things you can't figure out from the book of Revelation, but that's one of the things that you know. That it says near the end of the book of Revelation, it's kind of the summary statement of it. It says that Jesus stands and says, Behold, look everyone, I am making everything new. Heaven and earth and all that is in it. Okay? But until that time, the kingdom of heaven comes to bear through the church. Through the called out ones. And so we've been talking the last couple of weeks about how we go out to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But we do that so that the kingdom of heaven is introduced to the kingdom of of the earth. We don't do it just to make ourselves feel better. We don't do it just to build a kingdom to ourselves, the kingdom of self, but we do it to build the kingdom of God. Jesus had been talking about the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, when he taught the early disciples how to pray, he embedded in a prayer a phrase that they would pray over and over and over again, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we know that he gave them this prayer to pray daily. So for some time, they had been praying on a daily basis this phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of heaven. He's manifesting the kingdom of heaven. He's teaching them to pray that the kingdom of heaven will come on earth. And so he's just baiting them in to ask this question. When will the kingdom of heaven come? Listen to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. In my former book, Theophilus, I I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of heaven. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak of. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, he asked them, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, into Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. They're asking this question. When is the kingdom coming? How is it going to be here and now? What's my part in the kingdom? We know that if we study back through the Gospels, that two of them even had their mother come at one point and said, when you come into your kingdom, can my son sit at your right and your left hand? They were wandering because they only saw kingdoms of empowerment, in this earth, and they saw kingdoms of oppression, where those who were ruling got to rule over the others and tell them how it was going to be. And so, of course, they envisioned the kingdom coming and them being in charge. When do we get to set the record straight? When do we get to call the shots? When do we get to be in charge? When is your kingdom coming? And what is my part in it? And instead of answering their question that way, he says, well, it's none of really your business when the kingdom's going to come into all of its fullness, because I don't even know that, he says in another passage of scripture. But he says this, your work in the kingdom is to be the kingdom here and now by being my witnesses, by letting the Holy Spirit empower you to tell your story in such a way that it illuminates God's story so that more people are brought into the eternal kingdom, so that when the kingdom does fully arrive on that great day of the Lord, that more people are ready that they've already been ushered into the kingdom and they're ready to worship the Lord. And they're ready for a new heaven and a new earth. The way that the kingdom comes here and now is through you. And the prayer that you've been praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you could add a line to through us. Through us. And so that's what it means to go out into the community and and be salt and light. That's what it means to be here and now. That's what it means to be part of that reconciling work of God that we've been talking about the last couple weeks, is to let God flow through us here and now. They had a dilemma that we go through, the same dilemma that we do. Am I building the kingdom of self or am I building the kingdom of God? And even in trying to build the kingdom of God, they got off track. They wanted it to be about them. When do I get to call the shots? When do I get to make decisions? Do I get to sit your right and your left hand? And he said, you know what you get to do? And they probably were waiting with bated breath. Do I get to be vice president, president? Do I get to be a member of Jesus' cabinet? I mean, I've been with him all this time. What do I get to do? And he says, you get to be my testimony givers, my witnesses. He actually uses a word that could mean someone who gives up their life, a martyr, 
for my kingdom. You get to lay down your life so that the kingdom of heaven is ushered from heaven to earth through you. That's what you get to do. You get to lay it down. You get to tell your story in such a way that illuminates my story and helps other people come in to that eternal kingdom of God. You get to be the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven on earth through your life for now until the eternal kingdom comes in all its fullness. So Jesus introduces this fail-safe way to turn our energies from building the kingdom of self into building the eternal kingdom of God. And here's what he taught us, and here's what we're going to do this morning. It's just two points this morning. You may get out of here early, and maybe not. Okay, let's go for it. God's kingdom comes through us when we see our story as part of God's grander story. When we see our story of our life as God's, part of God's grander story. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses when the power of the Spirit comes upon you. That word could also be translated, someone who speaks or gives testimony to something that they have seen and experienced. It was a word that was often used back in those days in a court of law. Someone who gave testimony, and it wasn't hearsay testimony, it had to be something they saw, they experienced, they heard. And so Jesus is saying, you've heard me, you've seen me, you've experienced me the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven on earth. I've empowered you to do miracles. You've seen me raise people from the dead. You've heard me teach of the principles of the kingdom of God on the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to see what the principles of the kingdom of God, study the Sermon on the Mount. And he gave them what the people of the kingdom would look like. And he said, now you will be fully empowered to be my witnesses, to reflect who God is in all of his greatness to a world who greatly needs them, so that firsthand, you're a firsthand witness of who I am. And God's kingdom takes first priority when we see our story as just a doorway to a greater story that God is telling, the story of redemption. When God calls our name and we accept him as the forgiver of our sins, the leader of our life, he gives us a story that's worth sharing with other people, a story that leads others to this grander vision, this grander story. It helps people make sense of the brokenness in this world. There's a yearning in all of us for the world not to be broken, isn't there? We watch the news. I don't know, when I see it, when I see the news, there's something in me that says, this isn't right. What's going on across the globe isn't right. People killing each other, blowing each other up. People, you know, you know killing their own people with chemical weapons, and, and we look at this, and don't, don't you say this isn't right? I think that yearning inside of all of us that says this isn't right is an indication that at one time everything was right. And there's a part of us inside of us that's made by God in his image that says this isn't right. And there, it's also an indication that there's a kingdom to come when it will be right, but we're living in the in-between of when it was all right and when it will be fully all right again. And we're living in that in-between, that tension time, that broken time where heaven and earth is affected by evil. It was created for good, but we've been affected by evil individually and also all the planet. And that God comes down in the person of Jesus Christ to restore and redeem. And he begins to do that. He calls the church out to be part of that restoration. So that when things are fully redeemed, more people will be in the eternal kingdom of God than were before. 
And so God is working this. He's working this because he sees us struggling with why aren't things right. It helps it make sense when our story lines up with his story and also makes sense of what's going on in our world right now. You know, being a pastor, I get to meet a lot of people, I get to hear a lot of stories, and I like it. I like it. It encourages me. When I hear a story of somebody who's walking out of darkness and into light, when I hear the story of someone who's being encouraged by God and they're, they're making steps toward the kingdom of God or they've come across that threshold by accepting Christ as the forgiver of their sins and leader of their life and they're on the other side and, and they're growing, I enjoy that. In our journey class right now, we have uh, 30-some people in there. In the first two weeks, they write out their story and uh, they get up and, and they read their story and they tell their story around their table. And uh, I'm so encouraged by it. And I get to hear a lot of different stories. But what intrigues me is as I'm listening to people's stories is that I hear kind of the same pattern come out in stories. And I see a similarity. But then I also see this mosaic of different themes of how God is working intricately in different people's lives. But he's sewing them together. Like when I'm sitting in this room of 30 people and I hear them sharing their stories and, and they're saying, Oh my goodness. You mean you know the same person that I knew in Ohio? Uh, this, this past Wednesday night, I'm talking to a couple afterwards. They were from the church in Ohio where my father came to Christ. It was just amazing. And they knew the man, and they knew of the greenhouse, of the man who was integral in leading my father to Christ by giving him a job when my dad had lost his home, looked like he was going to lose his family, and he came to Christ. And so the kingdom of heaven visited Leon R. Smith Jr. in Youngstown, Ohio, Niles, Warren, that area. But I got to link up with someone who knew somebody. It's a mosaic. So I see this mosaic of God working in God's kingdom. But I also see this similarity. This is what I mean by that. I see this similarity in that there's kind of this pattern. And the pattern is in our stories, our stories kind of say, You've seen who I have been, you see who I'm becoming. Jesus is making the difference. Are you interested? You see who I've been. You see who I'm becoming. Jesus is making the difference. Are you interested in him too? Because he's making a difference in my life. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfectly whole. The kingdom isn't totally resident within me yet, but it's coming and it's changing me. And it can help you too. Are you interested? I see that. We're kind of like the man who Jesus healed, who was, who was born blind. And the disciples asked, why was he born blind? Did his mother sin or his father sin? And Jesus said, this isn't about their sin. This is about he was born blind so that I could heal him and show the glory of God. And so he heals him, and he comes into the eternal kingdom of God, and the blind man says this, one thing I know, I was blind and now I see, and Jesus made the difference. That's what I know. And sometimes telling your story is just as simple as that. I was here. Now I'm here. Jesus is making the difference. Are you interested at all in what God's doing and what he could do in your life? You know, I want, to take, I want you to take just a couple of quick moments to look down at your outline. And on your outline, there's a couple of boxes there. This is something, a little thing that we do in the journey class. And actually, I'll be doing it this coming weekend with our elders when I'm on elder retreat. And they'll write out their story and share their story with one another. It's two little boxes. And I just want to give you a minute to, to dwell on it. Think about it. Before God changed me, 
what was happening, and then how my life is changing now. Sorry, this is not the slide that should be up there right now. Can you guys take that down? <laughs> Thank you. Leave that up there. Look in your outline. There's a little thing with two boxes. You got it now? Sorry, I was distracting. <laughs> okay. So before God changed me and how my life is changing, Jesus made a difference. If you were to write one or two words in the box on the left, what words would you use? What phrase would you use? Before God changed me. And then the same for the box on the right. How my life is changing. What would you write now? I just want you to dwell on that. Think about that for a moment. Thinking about that helps you get in touch with the activity of God in my life. What is the activity of God in my life? What is he doing that other people need to see that he is doing in my life? That could mirror a reflection of the eternal God through my life to them, okay? So I love hearing stories because I see this pattern over and over again. But I also love to hear the different themes. Now you guys can bring up the themes. And the themes are varied, but often bring a mosaic. That can be the, the theme of, you know, my anger or my temper or my emptiness. I felt an emptiness in life, a lack of purpose. I was grieving the loss of people. I dealt with in, in, uh, disappointment or insecurity or regrets, okay? And you can see how we can work from worry to maybe inner peace or guilt to forgiveness or anger to patience and love. From emptiness to now I have purpose with God to, you know, uh, grief to uh, comfort and joy in God. So it just helps you kind of set those things up. I want to read to you in just a couple moments my story. And if you had to put down the theme of my story, I would write it this way. Identity crisis. Identity crisis. That when I was a young man, I was going through an identity crisis. And I was trying to find my identity in anything but God. Meaningful relationships are very important to me. I grew up in a family of five children. Before I was out of elementary school, both of my grandfathers had passed away because I was one of the youngest, and so the oldest were dying. So I didn't know how to deal with grief, but grief over relationships that were gone was affecting my life. In my young 20s, I tried to fill the void in my life for a meaningful relationship by finding the girl of my dreams. After a couple of failed attempts at that, I was upset with God because I felt like he was taking away from me what I wanted most, meaningful relationships. I woke up one morning after uh, spending the night partying with a bunch of friends, and a thought occurred to me because I had grown up in the church, and it was find your Bible and read it. I don't know why it occurred to me besides the Spirit of God and planting that in my mind. After looking around for a while, I found my Bible, I turned it open, and I read these words from the prophet Isaiah. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust the Lord forever for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. In that moment I knew that my trust was not in God for a relationship with the, filled the void in my soul, but it was in other people. And that day I asked Jesus, forgive my sin of substituting other people for you and come lead my life. When I did that, I established my identity in him. And to this day, daily, 
I walk back to him and I say, no, my identity's in you. It's not in my performance and it's not in other people. I find my identity in you. And often when I get to share my story, like I did with my neighbor just a few months ago when they were going through a difficult time, it was interesting to me that as I got to share my story in the kitchen of another neighbor's house with my neighbor, that that person chimed in and then shared their story. I didn't know where they were with God. I didn't know they were part of the eternal kingdom too. But God was using the mosaic of different people. See, it's not just you, it's us. Sharing our stories together. A mosaic that brings out the best that the master has. Not just for us, but for others who need his eternal kingdom also. According to Jesus, God's kingdom comes through us when we share our story as part of his grander vision, his grander story. But it also comes through us when we embrace our here and our now. Jesus said that, told his early disciples to be his witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in Acts 2-3, it reminds us that the early church was birthed in a time when Jerusalem was teeming with people from all over the world. It says that there were people from all over the globe who had come to observe the Feast of Pentecost. It was one of the great Jewish feasts. It says this in Acts 2-3, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And so Jesus had told his first disciples, and we know that there were 120 of them then in the upper room, he told them, go and be my witnesses to all the world. I'm wondering if they thought, you know, is he crazy? How are we going to be his witnesses to all the world? Then the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Peter preaches a sermon. And in one day, there's 3,120 of them in the church. 3,120 of them that are from all points around the globe. They are from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Isn't it interesting how God was working his plan out? And so many times we think, I have to go. I got to go to the ends of the earth. I have to go to Samaria. I have to go to... Yes, at times you are called to do that. And we would hope that all of you would take a short-term trip to another place because you learn so much when you're dislocated from your environment. When you're out of your element, you can get into God's essence sometimes in another place. But what Jesus was saying was there will be people from all over the globe coming into the kingdom and they need to go back and embrace their community because they're going to want to stay here. And look what happened. They wanted to stay there in Jerusalem. It says that the persecution had to come upon them for them to go back to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth kind of like us when we get excited when we get in it was the first holy huddle we get in our holy huddle and we're excited but we need to embrace the other people that god's put in our life our family our friends our neighbors they're good people who need god too they've been affected by evil and they need the savior to interject his salvation so they can come and join the eternal kingdom of god so that they can be part of bringing the kingdom of heaven to bear on the kingdom of earth a few years ago, I read a short book called Web of, Webs of Influence by John Soper. Uh, the subtitle is How to Use Your, Your Personal Mosaic of Relationships to Draw Others to the Savior. I was fortunate enough to take a course with John, a number of courses with John. And uh, I, 
I, I find that when you have a good professor who's teaching good things, invite him out for a cup of coffee. You'll learn all kinds of good things for them. So I did that with John. Got to know him a little bit personally. And uh, over the years, we've kind of kept some contact with one another. But he wrote this, and it really hit me. And this is the question I had for him. What does this statement really mean, John? You've church planted in Australia, upstate New York, United States, and every place you've gone, gone the church of God has grown. So tell me what this means. And he put this quote in chapter 1 of his little study guide. The gospel spreads most effectively and most rapidly across already existing lines of social communication. I said, okay, I understand the effectively and rapidly. What's the already existing lines of social communication? Just break that down for me in real people's words. Okay, John? Because John studied a lot of sociology and he's a pretty smart guy that way. And he said, this is it. Joel, the gospel comes to people most effectively and rapidly across relationships that are already there. Not across new relationships. You're establishing relationships and connections that are already there. Family members, friends, neighbors, people that you just know a little bit. You might not know them that well. But that's how it travels. It travels across relationship to relationship to relationship because God is relational. He made us to be relational. And our changed life stories help other people grow. And that was one of the first times that it dawned on me that my story is important not because Joel stands at the center of the universe, but because Joel can be a reflection of Almighty God and can help somebody else come into the, the kingdom of God by just sharing my story as a doorway and say, are you interested? Are you interested? The plain truth is that the gospel is spread most rapidly when we share our stories with other people who can see that we're not perfect, but God's changing us and growing us and doing something in us. Sharing our story, though, can be intimidating. I don't know about you, but sometimes I do the what-if thinking when I go to share my story. I'll say in my mind, well, I could share my story right now. This would be a good time to do that. God seems to be, you know, setting things up. And I'll think, but what if they just accommodate me? What if they say something like, they pass by me, that's nice for you, this is good for me, and then I just kind of sit in here feeling anemic, right? Ah, yeah, and how about the Mets, you know? I don't feel very valuable then. What, what if I share my story? I do this sometimes, and I say, well, what if they minimize my story? What if they say, so what? Your story isn't so important. What, what they that's different than accommodating. They're just kind of like saying, nah, you know, no thanks. Or what if they out and out reject my story? What if they start arguing, well, maybe that wasn't God. Maybe you just read some good books and established some good relationships with people. And maybe you didn't really have an identity crisis. And, and uh, you just watched a couple good Dr. Phil shows. And, you know, you incorporated those into your life. And what if they just kind of reject it? I realize when I start thinking about that, that what I'm doing is I'm slipping back into the kingdom of self. Of being preserving of myself. And I need to just step back over that line into the kingdom of God. Say, you know what? Sharing my story isn't about me. And I can share it in humility and love. And I can ask them if they're interested. And they can do what they want with my story. Because really it's about giving them an open window or a doorway to see God in a new way through my little life. You know, the writer, the writer of 1 Peter puts it this way in 
This is how we have, have it translated for us in the paraphrase called the message. I want you to listen to it. It encourages us, never give up. Never give up on what God's doing in you. Let him keep working in and through you. And I find that when I don't share my story, sometimes I, I back up the work of God. I stuff up the work of God. But when I share my story, he's flowing in me and through me, and he's changing me, and I'm being honest and authentic about that. The writer of First Peter encouraged us. He says, if with heart and soul you're doing good, do you think you can be stopped? Even if you suffer for it, you're still better off. Don't give the opposition a second thought. Through thick and thin, keep your hearts and your intention and your adoration before Christ your master. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are. And always do it with the utmost courtesy. Keep a clear conscience before God so that when people throw mud at you, none of it will stick. They'll end up realizing they're the ones who really need a bath. It's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants, than to be punished for doing bad. That's exactly what Christ did. He suffered because of others' sins, the righteous one for the unrighteous ones. He went through it all. He was put to death and then made alive to bring us back to God. I don't know about you, but I've always been a sucker for a good story. Ever since I was a kid, I loved the good story. I mean, I can remember green eggs and ham. I am, I am. Right? I can remember reading then to my kids The Velveteen Rabbit and Goodnight Moon. When I was a kid, Curious George anything, any of the Curious George books I love. I love a good story. One of my favorites to read to my kids was The Little Beaver and the Echo. And it goes on and on and on. Just a couple weeks ago, I had prominently displayed in my daughter's apartment in our basement all of the children's books that we had. And there was a row of bookshelves with all the books on them, and then I put them out. And you know what? She didn't really want me to display all the children's books in her apartment. So she started to ask, she asked, Dad, can I box those up? And I said, yeah, I'll put them up in my study upstairs if you box them up. And the other day I went down there, and there were about I counted them. There were 10 boxes of Penske, truck, or Penske trucking box full of kids' books that I will not get rid of because I love a good story. And I can't wait for the day when I can read some of those stories to my grandchildren. So I love a good story. But my favorite story of all times is a story that is true. And it's right and it's built on truth. And it's God's grander story, and it's locked in the pages of Scripture for us, from Genesis to Revelation, God revealing His story of His kingdom coming from heaven to bear on the kingdoms of the earth, and that someday Jesus will stand and say, I am making the story complete. It's all new. But until then, those of us who put our faith in Him are assigned to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And part of doing that is meeting needs of people in practical ways and telling our story in a very simple way that opens the door for them to meet God. You know, I believe that there was a reason why Jesus taught his early disciples that prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. I believe he did that because there are times when we're praying things, and have you ever done this where you've prayed something and you've become the answer to your own prayer? Where you've prayed, Lord, send someone to help this person. They're down and out. They need a friend. They need, and after a few weeks of praying that, God says, that's you. They keep calling you. They keep contacting you. You're the answer to your own prayer. That ever happened to anybody else? That happens to me. You pray something, God informs it. He says, you're the answer to the prayer I gave you. I'm working in you. I think he did that for the early disciples so that as they were praying that prayer, imagine them praying day after day, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And finally the day of Pentecost comes and the kingdom of God comes from heaven to earth through them. So there's some completion of that phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven through me, through us, through the church. And so I want us just this morning to pray that prayer. It may be a long time since you've prayed the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer, some put it, out loud together in unison. And I want us to pray that prayer and then take the next couple moments after we pray and just reflect and listen to the Lord. Could I be an answer to the prayers that you've been locking in my heart about your kingdom coming and your will being done, not just to me, but through me? Let's pray this prayer together, starting with our Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, we ask that you would empower us to be the answer to the prayer you've given us. That your kingdom would come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven through us. Teach us and empower us with your Holy Spirit to tell our story often and well. Use our stories together to be this mosaic of a doorway that opens up for other people to find you to open up the door to your greater and grander story the story of God we ask you to do this in us and on us and through us through your Holy Spirit in Jesus name we pray amen stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which people walk when they find God. There's no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. All that so many ever find is only the wall where a door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind people, with outstretched, groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet never finding it. So I stand by the door. 
The most tremendous thing in the world is for people to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing any person can do is to take hold of one of those blind groping hands and put it on the latch, the latch that only clicks and opens to that person's own touch. People die outside that door, as starving beggars die. On cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it, live because they have not found it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find Him. So I stand by the door. I admire the people who go way inside, but I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. Then they would be able to help the people who have not yet even found it, or the people who want to run away again from God. You can go in too deeply and stay in too long and forget the people outside the door. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place, near enough to God to hear Him and know He is there, but not so far from people as not to hear them and remember they are there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them, millions of them. But more important for me, one of them, two of them, ten of them, whose hands I am intended to put on the latch. So I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I had rather be a doorkeeper, so I stand by the door. About 1930 or so by Samuel Moore Shoemaker. Samuel Moore Shoemaker was a pastor in New York City who started something that we now call Alcoholics Anonymous. He based it upon the Beatitudes. Pathways of recovery are based on the Beatitudes, God's kingdom. Maybe you resonated with some of those words today. Maybe you said, hey, I can stand by the door. I can learn to tell my story not to make myself famous, but to make God famous. And I can point others to Christ. And I can let his kingdom come and his will be done through me. Through me. As I tell my story and as I embrace other people that God's put into my life. So as we sit in the quiet moments of the service and we fill out our response cards, just be honest with God. Maybe God's saying to you today, maybe you're someone who's come here today and you've been coming to daybreak for quite some time and he said, it's your day to walk through the door. You've been waiting. You've seen people here. They're authentic, but they're pretty broken too. They're not perfect, but Jesus is working in them. Today is the day to accept me as your Savior and your Lord. Maybe in the next couple moments you just lift up a prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, come in, forgive me of my sin lead my life I walk through the door of your kingdom today and perhaps you're sitting there today and you just need to recommit yourself and say I'm part of your eternal kingdom teach me how to tell my story tell it well tell it often teach me how to say every day I get to stand by the door what a privilege what an honor to be empowered by God 
stand by the door with him. Take a couple moments and reflect and fill out your card. If you need some prayer later on, you can go into the lobby and go to your left and down the hallway to our prayer partners that would love to pray with you and just listen to your requests and simply pray over you. They don't give a lot of advice. They just listen and pray. Take a couple moments to reflect right now. Record that and then engage in worship again. with me repeat after me